Today's episode is sponsored by one of my favorite rap labels, Front Row Regal. Started by my good friend Rock City Mark, legendary rapper Ito, and Jay Rios, they are the go-to for real hip-hop. Make sure to check out the whole team, including DJ Duop, Jay Black, Nice to Future, Boo Boo the Prince, Reno RX, and Uop Diggs. Follow Front Row Regal on all platforms and check out the new New York by Ito and DJ Duop out now. Yeah, no, I let the resistance get the best of me this morning, though. I could not get into the gym. I'd, I'd be there all the time, bro. Just yeah? Kind of hard to keep a routine going. Like, some days you really feel like, and some days you don't. And trying to find the energy to do it on the days that you don't is is rough. But there's there's definitely value in, in learning how to either push through that wall or just give yourself the grace of being like, all right, let me take a break, and I'll get back to it when I can. Why is your brain, not yours, but why is the human brain so dumb like that? Where you know what will make you better, you know what will make you more productive, but you still don't do it. That's, like, I feel like everybody, everybody has to deal with that in some way. And it is just, it's kind of wild that, yeah, we know what's best for us for the most part, I think. And we know what things that we should be doing or not doing. But the brain is the brain is powerful. Like the brain, I feel like we don't know. We as as a society don't really don't fully understand how powerful the brain is and how it can make and break habits and stuff like that. So it's a lot to be discovered. I feel like. Yeah, my friend. I was just talking to my friend who uh, went through like NA and AA, mm-hmm. and he was saying. And that's not something that I deal with, but something that he said that they taught was like the idea of get your feet moving and your head will follow. Mm-hmm. Which like, yeah. that is what it is, but it's so hard to get your feet moving sometimes. Yeah. Like specific for the the gym example, like once I get in there and I start and I'm like halfway through, I'm like, all right, I'm close. And then by the end, I feel feel great. And I think to myself, damn, I'm glad I didn't skip today because I like this feeling right now and this is what I need to be doing. But sometimes that wall is just very, very sturdy. Yeah. And I think some days, well, some days it is good to give yourself that that patience. And I think other days it's worth trying to just push through it. Are you... um? an even keeled person or do you work in cycles where you like push yourself to the limit and then you're like, shit, I got to take a break. And then you like push yourself to the limit. I'm a, I'm a mix. It depends on what the thing is. Like I'm pretty even keeled with stuff like music where I'm not going to be in the studio for eight straight days until 4am because that's just not, like I know that's not sustainable. Um, I, I work at my own pace. And I'll work during the day, throughout the day, whenever it makes sense for me to be working. And then for other stuff like eating healthy, like I really push it and I'll do it for a month and I'll be great. And then I'll just fall off for like the next week and I'll just fall right back into the pattern and try to get back on the horse. And there's certain stuff that I definitely push it um, and, and try to see how far I can go. And then 
deal with the after effects of it. And then there's other stuff where I'm much more measured about how I approach it. Why are you calm about music? Music is just the one. I think it's the thing that I'm best at. And that gives me, I think there's a level of, of confidence that is, that I've had built up over the past few years to where I know what I need to be doing. I know what level I can do it at. And I know that I can continue to build on success. And there are other things that I've struggled with, like healthy eating, for example, because there's, there's the opposite end, which is just eating like shit. And there's like a middle ground where you're kind of like doing both and you're eating like good stuff and bad stuff, but eating healthy, like strictly healthy. There are so many moving parts that go into that. And that's not something I focus on for most of my life. So, um, I think music is just the thing that I feel like I'm best at. And because of that, I don't really feel the need to push to a limit because I think the spot that I'm at with music is already good at the, uh, the effort that I'm putting in the, the strategy, the, the inspiration, all those things are just on track. So I feel very at peace with direction and the pace with which I'm moving. Did you know the path you were going to take? Oh, definitely not. Um, <clears throat> I, I abstractly saw myself as a rapper when I was in high school or saw that I could be a rapper. I didn't have any concrete plans of how I was going to accomplish it until the past couple of years. So up until that point, I didn't, I didn't really think about how it was going to happen. I just, it was the idea. I think that everybody has when they're young and starting out like, oh, I just need to get people to hear this and I'm going to blow up. There's no, I, I didn't know about ads. I didn't know about algorithms. I didn't know about consistently releasing. I didn't know about uh, beat selection and things like that. I'm just thinking like, I'm good enough to make it, which I wasn't at the, at the time. Like my music just wasn't that good, but I didn't really have anything else to compare it to because it was the best music that I had been making as like relative to what I was making prior to that. So I just thought that it was going to happen one day. Um, I just didn't know what type of work it would take to put into it until the pandemic hit. And then I started really, really focusing on music and things started happening like almost instantly. And then I realized that I was at a completely different level than I had been at in high school and college. So, yeah. You said that everybody gets that idea. What do you think was different about your idea? Like you really did believe that this was going to be what you were doing or. Mm -hmm. um, the the big switch happened when I think it was around April, April, 2020, I had released a song called bleach in mid March. And after about a month, it started jumping up crazy with the streams, like 5,000 streams a day. I'd never even gotten to 10,000 streams on a song before. Once Bleach started jumping up, that's when it finally, I finally got that feeling, like the feeling that there was something to grab onto, that there was something tangible with what I was doing. And from that point on, I just rededicated myself to not just the craft, but also the, uh, 
the non-creative aspects of music, like the the business side, the promotion side, all that stuff. Yeah. And once I started seeing uh, sustained results on Bleach and then Gristle a couple months later, that's when I felt like I really got it. I had like a, a formula to follow or not a formula in that I wanted to replicate those songs specifically, but a formula in that I knew how often I wanted to release and I knew how I wanted to promote the songs. And of course that formula became more polished and refined over time, but I had something like I had a, a rudimentary blueprint to start off with after those first few months of 2020. And that's when I felt like I really had it. Why do you think bleach was different? Um, from a technical standpoint, I think there are a lot of elements of bleach that are compelling for a listener. I've always been a real lyrical person, lyrical artist, and that has never left my music. So I think that appeals to a lot of people, but I also think Bleach was the type of song that worked on that deeper lyrical level, but also a more cursory sonic level. Like the production was crazy, level produced it, lo-fi trap kind of meeting in the middle. I think that sound just really fits for people. People, like more people, so many people tell me that that's the song to listen to when they smoke, the song to listen to when they're like driving late night. And I wasn't thinking about any of that when I made the song because at that time I'm just thinking I got to put shit out because I'm not trying to like, quit music right now. I want to really get something going. I think just the the elements, like the, the pieces of the song, the, the production, the flows, the lyricism, and just the overall sound contributed to something that people really liked. But if I'm being honest, I think sometimes there's there's kind of a, an inexplicable way that things happen in the world. And I wanted nothing more in that moment than to be a rapper and to not go home and not start grad school or work a job. And I think I put all of that energy into that song and stuff started to happen. And that, um, I, I really, I'm not like a super spiritual person or anything, but I do think that there's something, something happened with that song. And it was based around like that urgency, that sense of urgency and the desperation that I felt to get shit off the ground. That thought of giving up can push the right person to not, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, it's funny, when the pandemic hit, I had to take myself seriously, too. Like, I didn't beforehand because that was just yeah. life. But when faced yeah. with the shit, you got to adapt or you're going to fall behind. Yep. You had uh, certain people learn to pick up the pace. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And I think there are also certain people who would be content if things didn't happen for them in that way. Like, all right, well, if I don't achieve this dream, then I can go do this other thing and I'll be fine. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. But I think they're also, like, I'm not, I would never make a judgment on that type of attitude 
But I also think that there are people who refuse to have that backup plan or who don't do well with the safety net idea or who just don't want to go to that. They just don't want to go to the plan B. And yeah. I didn't want to go to a plan B. I didn't, I really didn't want to go back to school. Um, my, my college experience burnt me out academically. And I didn't want to go work a regular job either because I just, I knew I wouldn't have been happy or fulfilled. This so, is a weird yeah. comparison, but have you ever seen the movie The Menu? I, I've heard about that a lot. I was going to start it a couple weeks ago. I haven't started it. But okay, I know you're like a things. food. You're a very big yeah. like food guy, so I didn't know. But there's a scene in that movie. I don't want to spoil it, where the guy's like talking to the chef under him, uh-huh. and he's like, "Do you want my life?" He's like, "Not my accolades, not where I am, but do you want my life?" And I think that's when I see that scene in that movie, and I don't. I wonder if it'll hit you the same way when you see it. But that's what I hear when I hear you talking that some people want what it is, like want the idea of it, but they don't want what it actually is, like what the grind really means. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's that accurate because I didn't. I didn't want what the grind meant. You know, like I wasn't the amount of work that I put in, not just to the to developing the craft of rapping, but also into the the business aspect, the non-rapping part of things. The amount of work that I'm putting with that stuff now compared to before the pandemic, it's like a million times more, if I could quantify it. A million, a billion times more. I, I didn't want to work. Like I wanted to release music and for that music to blow up. And I had no idea of any of the stuff that was supposed to happen in between point A and point B. But it was because I didn't want to. Like, I wanted it to just happen. Yeah, I would drop projects and then be discouraged when people didn't, you know, stream it a bunch and share it a bunch. And I refused to reckon, I refused to recognize that, one, my music wasn't that good at that point. And two, I wasn't doing anything else to promote it. Like, I was just putting it out and, like, sending a link to people that I knew and saying, oh, just stream this, share this, comment. Like, you know, people hit you in the DMs. I'm sure people hit you in your DMs all the time. Yeah. Like, comment, share, all that stuff. And when you're not really ready to do the work, that seems like the work. And that seems, like, in and of itself that that's enough work. But it's just not. And I wasn't ready to do that work until my back was really, really against the wall. And I was in a spot that was not comfortable. Was there a moment? Was there like, was there a moment when it was like a do or die moment? Not literally, but like where your brain did make that switch. I would say around the time that I that I wrote Bleach, that was those couple weeks were the moment. Everything shut down in Chicago. I was working at the gym at my at the school from which I had recently graduated. I'd been there for about a year, a year and a half maybe, and the gym shut down, so I couldn't work anymore. Which meant I didn't have like a main stream of income anymore. 
And at that moment, I realized that I could just cut my losses, move back home to my parents' crib, not pay rent, get a job somewhere. I'd already started applying to grad schools because at that point, I, I wasn't convinced that music was going to pop. And the alternative was to say that I wanted, the alternative was to give music one last big push and just see what happened over the next couple months. And if nothing works out, then I'll, then I'll leave. But the reason I would have to quit basically if I left is because like my whole studio setup was in Chicago. My, one of my best friends lives here. I go record at his studio. He's been engineering me for the past few years. Like without all that, I'm not going to drive, you know, an hour and a half down in Miami to record from West Palm Beach once I move home. Yeah. Of course. I'm not going to be doing that just to record music. I'm going to just focus on other stuff because music it didn't work out for me. But I was like, well, I've been, I've been doing this for too long. I really wanted this. I really want this. And that felt like the moment. Lost my job. Everything shut down. Needed to make something happen before... I made the final decision on whether I was going to move home and quit music or not. But I do just really you, wanted to make it. Do you feel like the universe gave you a choice or do you feel like it had to be this way? I think there was choice involved because I was... I wasn't a great student in school, but it was because I didn't really care about school, especially once I got better at rapping. Once I felt I was better at making music than I was at school, then I stopped caring about school. But from, I was like, I was a, a school kid growing up, you know, like I played sports and stuff, but my thing was school. Like I was in the gifted classes and the AP stuff and like, you know, went to a good college and got scholarships and all that. Like, I went to school for school. And that was definitely a choice that I could have made again during the pandemic. I could have just gone back to school. And I think I would have been fine academically. I wouldn't have enjoyed myself, but I probably would have, like, I was, I was looking into specifically this joint PhD program at Yale for African-American studies and music. And the one thing that when I was looking into other music programs at other schools, the one thing that kept me from applying to those was that I didn't want to be studying like 17th century classical music for five years before I could get into what I wanted. I figured that the joint aspect would allow me to at least study music that I actually cared about. That was like my main plan, like my plan B, I guess. And the choice was there, but I didn't, I just didn't want that. Like, I didn't really want that. I really wanted to make music. So maybe if something like, I don't know, something had happened surrounding that where they took away the joint thing so I couldn't do one half of it. So it had to be either music or African-American studies or something else. They just removed the program. And that would have felt less like a choice because then I'll be like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm just going to do music. Yeah. But yeah. That's a wild. Do you feel fulfilled now? Like. Yeah. 
I I feel like I'm in a place that I didn't think I'd ever be. Not just in terms of of music, but in terms of like what life has become because of music. I'm better at rapping than I thought I would ever be. And I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of of what's happening around me in terms of music. But also the way that I've approached music has given me a lot of insight on the other parts of my life and how I want to do things either the same or differently. So, but in terms of music specifically, while I still have a lot more that I want to accomplish, I feel like I made it in that I'm comfortable right now, you know, like financially comfortable off of the different streams of income that music has afforded me. And I don't just want to be comfortable, you know, yeah, but but right now, like I've maybe about a year, not not very, maybe a year and a half, a year ago was when that happened. Like when I quit my job and started doing music full time. So that was December 2021 that I quit my job at the gym. So for like a year and a few months, I felt like I've made it. Do you enjoy the comfortability? Yes, yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, like I still think about how much stuff costs and, and things, you know, I'm not at that level of, of comfort, but it's nice being able to be on my own schedule. It's nice not having to clock in and clock out. Yeah. And it just, this is not, it's not, it's just not something I, I envisioned even a couple of years ago. I didn't think that things were going to get to this point. But it seems like things just hit new levels every few months. And it's nice just kind of being able to do what I want. And my job is something that I really, really enjoy doing. Like the, the one thing that I want to do more than anything on the planet. So cool. What has it taught you in outside life? What did you mean by that? It's the idea of if you like if you really want something to happen then you're going to make it happen and the only reason that you don't make it happen is because you don't want it enough and i don't think that's a template that you can apply to everything and to everybody and to every situation in life because especially as a black person i know that there are certain institutional barriers in place for a lot of people in a lot of places that don't allow them to do the things that they really want to do. And it's not, of course, it's not just black people either. But I think in a lot of places here and in other countries, wherever, there are structures in place that make it very difficult to accomplish goals. So when I say what I what I said initially, I mean for people who have the means, who have the capacity to do those things. Most things are within reach, but you got to go and get it. And I feel that way about a lot of stuff in my life that I just haven't been as nearly as focused on as with music, like things like lifting, for example, like we were talking about at first, like if I really wanted to consistently be in the gym six days in a row and not skip any days, like I would. 
if I really wanted that, then I would go get it. But I'm not doing that. So like at a certain level, I don't really want that. And that's like, that's fine. But I think that's something that I don't think it's a bad thing if you don't actually want it. If you dig deep and finally you don't. But I think it's important to find that you don't and figure out the reasons why you don't and figure out if that's something that you actually do want at some point. And that's kind of what I look at everything in my life through. Like that's the lens that I look at everything through. Like, oh, if I wanted to uh, learn how to make some dish, like some fancy dish or something, then I, I would, but I haven't done it yet. So I don't, I don't really want to, and that's okay. Like, it's okay that I don't really want to, but I need to accept that that's not something I really want to do. And that's, yeah, that's, that's just kind of the template that I use for, for my life now, because with music, I wanted it. And at first I didn't, so it didn't happen. And then I did want it and it did happen. And if you have the capacity and the patience and the work ethic and all those things and aren't being affected by those structural barriers, then you have a pretty good chance of making stuff happen. And not listening, as you said, you're realizing that if you really did want something, you will get it with everything else in place because mm -hmm. your brain won't tell you the truth. Your brain won't tell you what you really want or what you really don't want. It'll tell you both yeah. ways. It'll tell you that you really want something that you don't, and you'll put all your time into that. And then it'll tell you, like, like the resistance of staying in bed. Like, mm -hmm. I'm never going to, you're never going to be happy. Like, I don't know. I'm I, never, I'm never like, oh, thank God I did that. But in yeah. that moment, every morning, you're like, no, this is what I need right now. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard to break through that. And there are so many different reasons for people have a bunch of different reasons to be in that spot. Mm. And I think most, if not all of those reasons are valid. People go through a lot of things that make them want to stay in bed. People go through a lot of things that make them want to do something or not want to do something else. Are you an anxious person? No. Um, I've had, I definitely have stretches. Like when, when music was, when I first was starting out, like I was anxious, um, not starting out when I was, when I first, I guess, embarked on the journey of actually making it with rap in 2020, I was anxious. So I wanted things to work out. Um, and I have other stretches of anxiety when, when it's come to like personal issues, like family things, but it's always, typically goes away once I get more clarity on something. And sometimes it happens with time and other times it happens with more actionable things. Because when I listen to your music, you seem even keeled, like calm. And I don't know if that's how you perceive it because I'm a stand-up comedian and when people mm -hmm. will always come up to me and be like, damn, you seemed like chill up there but like to mm -hmm. me i'm not chill at all like i'm like the most <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah anxious i'm fucking i'm a bumbling idiot like that's how <laughs> i see myself so it's funny that i it's funny seeing other people's perception of you versus what your perception of yourself is yeah for for a long time i was concerned that music was not going to work out even once things started getting good once bleach blew up and gristle blew up and 
250,000 monthly listeners, 500,000 um, blog posts, posts a few like, you know, cosign type things, producers reaching out to work, sending packs, like making enough money to live off of. I'm thinking like, yeah, this is great. But there was, there was always that nagging feeling in the back of my head that things were going to dry up and that something was going to just fall off. And then one wheel will fall off and then another one fall off and then all four would fall off and then it'd be back where I started. And that's something, I, it was a thought that I couldn't get rid of. And I don't think it really showed in the music because stylistically I've been pretty similar over the past couple of years as I figured out my sound. But in real life, up until about maybe six, seven months ago, that nagging feeling was there. And now it's not there. And I don't know if people can really tell with the music because I don't think my music sounds, like I've been working to make my music sound effortless. You know, like the idea that it takes it takes a lot of work to make it sound like it's not taking a lot of work. Yeah. But it does. Like I'm, I'm thinking about like every single line that I write is intentional. I don't do the whole throwaway thing. You know, there's there's no filler with what I write. So like the way the way that I write is so that I couldn't even pull a line out and put another line in because the last line of one four bar that is supposed to lead into the first line of the next one, which like everything is connected. And I don't think the amount of work that that takes really comes across in the music, but I don't, I don't want it to, like, I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to put together a thesis on a song. I want it to sound smooth. I want it to sound like unbothered. Yeah. But at this point, like I do feel unbothered. I just didn't before like that nagging thought in the back of my head, like this isn't going to work out. Like that's, that's gone now. And I don't think that changes how my music sounds, but to me it changes how it sounds because I don't, I don't feel like I'm in a place where the work could fall off anything. Is there a career that you idolize, like a path that you idolize? Um, I really, well, I really like, I really enjoy sports. I think professional athletes are, professional athletes are, the career that maybe I don't most idolize, but the first one that comes to mind because that's what I consume the most, I think, out of out of anything else. Just the amount of, I think it's often attributed to physical dedication, but there's a lot of mental dedica dedication too. And I play basketball a lot for, for fun, like competitively, but it's like, it's fun for me because I'm not getting paid for it. Yeah. And just there there are certain days where like I'll be playing really well or whatever, like maybe one of the best players in the gym for a day or two. And then I think about how much better like the average NBA player is. Like this is I'm glad this is something I see people talking about more on social media now because I wasn't really seeing it before, but all these guys who are being chopped up as scrubs or, you know, the last guy on the bench, like they're, they're killers. Yeah. NBA, NBA and WNBA, like all levels of professional basketball. Yeah, they'll kick anyone's ass. Anybody. Anybody. Like you can't go one. No. Yeah. yeah. Anybody. Like they're going to come to the direction. Like, I could beat up the strongest female MMA fighter. It's like, no, no. you can't. No. Like, no. These people do it for a living. Like, 
you it's just just that like that like being that level of good even being the worst the worst WNBA player in the league still a killer yeah like the worst NBA player the last person on the bench for the worst team in the league is still coming to the rec and is going to look like Michael Jordan Oh yeah, to everybody the else. People on practice squads are the best people on a fucking D one team, you know? Like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Just like just any like professional athletes and how good they have to be, but also how sharp they have to be mentally to perform at that level, or to be that last person on the bench and to know how good they are, and to know like what they came from because they were probably the best player on their high school team. They're probably the best player on their one of the best players on their college team. And now they're not touching the court at all. But like to have the fortitude to not be discouraged by that and to continue being like supportive. And and then when they do get those chances to to excel, like ideally they do. Sometimes they don't, but I think I just think that's it takes a lot. It takes more than people give them credit for. And of course, like they make a lot of money. I think that helps. Like I know that helps. <laughs> I don't I don't want to act like they're getting paid $20,000 a year, $40,000 a year. But I think it still takes a lot to go from being that person, that guy, that girl to not touching the court at all. And then just having to be cool with it. Yeah. It's kind of like rappers on labels who aren't like people who don't care, don't care about like the lesser people on a, like a, mm-hmm. a smaller label. Like, all right. I heard you say that you liked Griselda in an interview like those mm-hmm. are my guys i love griselda i got the west side fucking i was just with yeah, yeah. Conway literally two days ago i almost knocked over <laughs> seltzer i caught that shit damn but like conway has so many artists signed to him that's drum work like that's his label and then you got like mm-hmm. James and you got love the genius who are amazing but mm-hmm. people are like well that's not conway so why would i give them like the time of day to listen to that it's like, no, they're still better than anybody that you'd know, but they aren't the, like, star. So to the average person, to, like, the fan who doesn't care. I have no idea what happened. That was so, that was just a bunch of clusterfucks at the same time. <laughs> I knocked over I knocked over a bunch of shit. The phone got disconnected. <laughs> but what was I talking? Oh, I was talking about like the Griselda guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I guess I'll change the point, but keep it on a little bit. It's like people don't think about a concert, what a concert really is when they're a fan. Like when you just have a job, you go out and you like want to just enjoy your night. But you Mm -hmm. don't know what that means to the artist. Like I don't think people think 
that an artist like dedicates their life to it. I think people are ignorant to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I think so too. I think that there, there are, there are a few performers who are just widely renowned as incredible performers, like the showstoppers, like Michael Jackson, Beyonce. Those are, I mean, those are the first two that come to mind to me, but in terms of rap, like you think of Kendrick, and you think of Cole, I think, is known to put on really good performances. Um, like the heavy hitters. Yeah. But the work that it takes to put on a good show, but not just put on a good show, to put on so many, like, years, months, years of good shows that you become known as that, like, that, that's a crazy amount of work. Yeah. And it goes further than rehearsing and it goes further than energy. Like there's so many other pieces unrelated to the artists themselves that have to go into that and go into those experiences. So yeah, I, I definitely agree. Is there a rap career that you idolize? Like someone that you're like, damn, their path is the one I, I look up to. I heard a song I went back and and listened to a West Side Gun song from I think 2005 it was the first track on I think the the album was called FNIC yeah mm -hmm. and I was listening to him rapping and there were so many things that he was like the way he was rapping and the things he was rapping about were so similar to how he's rapping now 20 years later and the past four, maybe five years have been like the the emergence of Griselda into the mainstream. And I just think it's really cool that he stayed down and he stuck to what he knew. And there are probably a lot of people telling him, yo, you should do this and you should do that. And you should do all this stuff. And the only thing that I that I noticed changed is the ad-libs in the, in the pacing. Because he was rapping in a more traditionally dense way than he does oftentimes now she still does now sometimes but he's he's been doing this for over 20 years now and he's finally like i don't even know if mainstream was his goal but he got to that point from just sticking with what he felt was right for him and i just respect the hell out of that because that's a long time to stick with it like that's a very long time to to believe like this is gonna this is gonna happen like i'm gonna get to that point now that you have more like of a mainstream success, are there more people trying to get their like hands in the pie? Like, is that something you have to fight off? Yeah. People, people will, will reach out with business opportunities, with investment opportunities, with deals, deal offers, things like that. And, and lesser stuff too. Like people will definitely come back. People from the past will come back and it'll be like the whole, yeah, it was, remember when we used to hang out in, in middle school and that's oh, how yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I yeah. got one of those DMs about this morning. <laughs> Just, yeah. From a business, from a business standpoint, it definitely happens. And people are, are getting, people are, are trying to get in on, the relative ground floor and also like personally that that does happen too but 
it's just in in a way it's it's flattering because I feel like that means other people can see what's about to happen. And I feel like a lot of big things are about to happen too. So I know I'm not alone in that because they wouldn't be trying to hit me up and offer me certain stuff if they didn't think things were about to pop too. Yeah. So it's a pretty good barometer, I would say, of of where I'm at and where I'm headed. But I mean musically, are people trying to like change your sound? Yeah. Yeah, people I mean, people have been doing that for a while. People are trying to people are trying to have input on my production. People are trying to have input on the way I rap, the direction I'm going in creatively. And the reason I the reason I wrote Gristle in the first place, which was April, April twenty twenty, was because how the people up until that point and even a little bit after were telling me that like lyrical rap was was on its way out and that I should be doing more catchy hooks and melodies in my songs and all those things. And Gristle was just like a, a fuck you to all of that. Not to the people specifically, because I think those people were coming from a good place with their advice. But I like in in response to to all those different things, I released a song that was like a minute fifty something seconds long, and it was bars from front to front to back with no hook, just straight bars, and it popped. And that was the only justification validation whatever you want to call it i needed to know that i just need to stick with what i like doing and if it's good then people are going to like it and i could do a bunch of other stuff too and that might pop but i'm probably not going to like it as much so what's the point if i could just pop with stuff that i really like doing? yeah and that's where that works that works for you when you stick to your guts that works for you yeah. I mean you and specifically I mean everybody, but you specifically, like why would you ever step away? But yeah, that does seem something that's scary. I would say with the money. You know what I mean? Like be mm-hmm. like you get I you read so many people get offered big chunks of money and then have to change who they are. And then yeah. they would have made that money and there's other people like I don't know if you know who David Goggins is. Yeah. Like he got a, I don't know if you know his story, but he got a book deal and they offered him like, I don't know, like 70 grand for his book. And mm-hmm. then he didn't sell, he kept it and he didn't sell the book for two years. And then like two years later, he sold the book independently and made like, you know, like 10 million on it or some shit yeah. like that. The, um, the thing about the deals a lot of the deals, not all of the deals, but I've been offered some some things that after more careful inspection were pretty fair. <laughs> they um like deals aren't meant to be artist friendly, you know? Like deals, most deals, label deals, I think even distribution deals, like the one most I think most label deals, most distribution deals are inherently predatory in that they're targeting people who don't have money and they're trying to convince people to sign things with terrible terms for them in exchange for an amount of money upfront that would immediately alleviate their financial situations. 
And a lot of people sign those deals and then end up in really fucked up situations because they needed that bread at that one moment. And if those same people had money coming into those deals, they'd be like, no, like I want to restructure this and that and that. And I want less money up front in exchange for these changes. But a lot of people don't have that option for real. And at all the times that I've been offered deals, like I had that option and I was able to, I was able to send my, my contract to a, to a lawyer. Like I was able to do all these things to make sure like my brother, my brother has a law degree. Like he just graduated from law school a few years ago. He's getting his PhD now. Like I could send my stuff to him. My mom was an attorney. I could send my stuff to her. Like I had a, not only a support system in place and my engineers, the like the smartest music mind that I've ever met in my life just knows the ins and outs of all the financial shit ever about the music business. I could send it to him. Like I, I have people on my team who can check on that stuff for me. And even if I didn't, I wouldn't have to sign anything because I'm not broke. Yeah. And that's not to shit on people who are broke because I was broke. But when you're desperate, like you might grab some money that isn't like that has a lot of strings attached that you're not really worried about because you're trying to pay rent or you're trying to help your family out or you yeah, got kids or financial yeah. literacy is like you see how many people win the lottery and go broke yeah you know? and yeah kind of like what a deal you can sign a deal and then blow that in one purchase you can get a hundred thousand dollar check and blow that on a house that you can't pay you know the taxes yep. for every month like i i just like i a few uh maybe about a year ago i got offered a deal that was worth worth six low six figures like a hundred thousand dollars so like the lowest possible six figures <laughs> yeah but still six figures and half of it would have been in the form of the form of an advance and I think the deal was either three or five. I think it was like five years or something like that. And I basically wouldn't have been able to generate any other income outside of the deal. Like it would have been that advance that I had to live on for maybe it was three years. I can't remember the exact number of years, but like it was an amount of money that at that point I would have made back in like six or seven months. And they wanted me to sign away all my shit for three years or four years or however many years it was. And at first I'm like, oh shit, $50,000. Like I'm hype as hell. I'm like, I'm about to be like rich. I've never even seen this much money before. And I sent it to my lawyer. I sent it to my brother. I sent it to my engineer, chill. And my lawyer was like, I asked her all these questions. Like, would I still be able to sell features? Nope. Would I still be able to, like, would I be receiving royalties from music? Nope. All these questions I'm asking are just no. It's like, so I, this is my money? Yeah. And, and I got to pay taxes on three it? three years, you're, yeah, you're making, like, 20 grand a year at the end of it. And I got to, like, release all these songs with them. And she was like, and what a lot of these labels do is they'll have you, like, they'll make it so that you can only work with in-house producers who are charging two, $3,000 for a beat. So there goes your advance because it took you $30,000 to put together eight songs. So now I got no bread for three years. Like, and I got to pay taxes on the rest. 
and after like thinking about it and like thinking about how they thought that they were gonna like real men with that, I was like, this this all fucking sucks. Yeah. Like I can only imagine what somebody who didn't have the people around because I my dumbass was 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 hype. I had no idea how to like read through the the minutia of the deal and like understand what was being asked of, asked of me and like what was going to be taken and what was going to be allowed. I couldn't do that myself. So I can only imagine what it would have been like if one, I wasn't making the money that I was making back then, which wasn't a crazy amount, but it wasn't like enough for to justify me signing that deal. And two, not having the people around me to be like, this is fucked up. Yeah. Like that's bad. That's bad for a lot of artists. And that's why they get signed to these fucked up deals. And then they get, the, yeah. And then on the third year, what do you like on that third year? You have no money. You can't do the music and you're just, yeah. yeah. You can't, you can't pay for features. Like you can't, what you have no budget. So now you're just putting out music and there's like a little, maybe a little bit of a marketing budget left. Yeah. And then they just shelve you because you can't make that money back. So until you make the money back, however you're supposed to make it back, you're just stuck in that deal. Like that's terrible. But that's the point, right? Like they're not, most I'd say most deals are not supposed to be they wouldn't be offering the deal if they didn't think they were gonna make the money back or if they weren't legally required to make that money back, right? So it's gonna be back one way or another. What do you think deals are good for? I think deals are good when structured in an artist friendly way for ushering artists who wish to be into the who wish to be in the mainstream into the mainstream. I think that's one thing deals are good for. I think there are more too. I haven't really thought about it because I don't really want to sign a deal like that. But yeah. if you wanna if you're a big artist and you might benefit from the marketing boost that one of those deals would, would offer you, like maybe that's worth it. But I also think like a publicist could do that. A publicist with connections to eight different labels could do that. You know? Like yeah. I think working with an investor could do that. I think there are a lot of things that could accomplish that. Or if you were given the money yourself, how would you market yourself? I don't think all deals are bad, but I think that there's like deals are being offered by businesses. And the point of a business is not to lose money. It's to make money. So that's, I don't think that's something that should be lost in anybody who's looking to sign a deal. Like they're not, their their goal is not their goal is to blow you up if that even is what happens to the extent that they generate revenue profit from you the artist yeah the goal isn't to make things great and comfortable and make sure you're all good and you make hell of money they don't make any money yeah target doesn't really care about the products in the store exactly none of these companies actually care like you see like black black history month they put all the black people in their commercials and they do history facts and during pride month everything is flag colored and then the, the day after the month is over is back to business like they don't none of these places actually care and i think it's important for people to realize that but especially artists who are being like wined and dined basically by these companies and have representatives come out and try to make it seem like it's this really cool like equitable thing and it's, it's mostly i would say most of the time it's not 
I think there probably are examples of times where deals have been really well structured for the artist and it's been like more of a partnership than, you know, this and then an imbalance. But yeah, that's that's the point. Like they wouldn't be up billions of dollars if they weren't making a profit from their artists relative to what the artists are making. Yeah. Business is finding something that you can make money for and exploiting that. And I think art is something that can get exploited a lot mm -hmm. because you, as a creator, you care so much about it that you just like, you just want to sustain it and they, right. they can um, see that vision. Anyone sees that vision. It's like, they're not, they're not creators. They care about money. Like, yeah, people are born. This is the what I asked you way before about like people are born into certain roles. Like you are a creator, no matter how that ended up playing out. Like you are mm -hmm. some, an like that's who you were. Like some people are born to just want to make money, and that's all they care about. I think like one one thing that I would would say about that is that. <clears throat> A lot of that is is um, situation based or environment based. And if you grow up around people, like if you grow up in a family that values money as much as like what you described, and like you're going to be like that too. If you grow up in a family that values community, like you're going to value community. If you grow up in a family that values money, you're going to value money. If you grow up in a family that values creativity, you're going to be creative. My mom was an author. My dad. Well, my mom was an author. She was an attorney. She was many things. But my creativity, I think, came from being encouraged by both her and my dad to be creative. So I, I do think, like, you're, you're born into a family that has certain points of emphasis. And it could be whatever those things are. And usually you're going to follow, like, what your family does until at that certain point maybe you switch up. But yeah, I do. I agree, like in in a lot of ways that if your parents are like the type to nickel and dime and, and all that stuff and just trying to get a leg up and trying to make money and, and whatever ways they can think of. And that's what they value. And that's probably what you're going to value, too, as a kid and then as a teenager. And then maybe as an adult, you learn to have a different relationship with money or with other people. But that's that's your your template. Damn, yeah, you are right about that because I was thinking about that like emotionally too. Like, you know, when you get like triggered and you start acting like the ways that you saw, you're like, wait, how did I, how did I learn this bad behavior? Mm -hmm. And you're like, there's a direct correlation of, oh, that's how I, when someone's reacted this way, that's, or something like this happened, that's how I reacted. Yeah. And you could have had, an incredible upbringing with very few things that negatively affected your life. And you could have had a terrible one with a lot of things that affected your life negatively. But one thing that everybody has and everybody undergoes as kids is like bad experiences that kind of shape how you see stuff. And you could, you could have hella, you could be born into hella money and go to all the best schools, but you're still going to have bad experiences and you could be born into no money and whatever. And you could have some great experiences with, like a, a nurturing community or parents who like, you know, really love you and really support you and all and you know, poverty fucking sucks. Yeah. And a lot of people are, are born into poverty, but those like good experiences exist outside of 
socioeconomic situations, even though they're, I think they're also greatly crafted by those socioeconomic situations. But yeah, a lot of people just have like people have shit that go that goes on in their childhoods that eventually they start reacting to stuff that's similar and like, oh shit. Let me like figure out like, oh yeah, this happened when I was eight. This makes sense. Like, let me do something about that. Or this happened when I was eleven. Like that. Yeah, that's real. And when you're a student, like you said, once you started learning about music as like a business and being a student, that's what emotionally you have to be a student too. Like, I think mm -hmm. people forget that you have to keep learning. And I think I say people meaning me, like I forget that I have to keep learning no matter what, if I want to grow, I have to be a student no matter what, no matter what yeah. it is, I have to be able to be willing to suck to, if I, my brain wants it, I have to be willing to suck to get better. Cause it's not just yeah. going to start. Yeah, that's some of the advice that I give the artists who who reach out and ask for advice. I'll tell them that you got to get used to failure and you have to learn how to move off of it. And you can allow yourself some time to like recover if if you you know are feeling discouraged or whatever, but it's going to happen and it's going to happen a lot. So you might as well get used to it now because I can definitively say that I've taken significantly more L's than W's in my, in the past three years. And it's not even close still. Like I'm having a, a great time right now, but I'm, I'm very far from getting back to 500, but that was what got me here. Like that was the process. Like failing got me here yeah. and learning how to respond to that failure, not just emotionally, but also like logistically that, is what got me to the point that I'm at. So I think learning how to lose is really important. I appreciate your transparency on that. And that 500 yeah. is cool. Cause it's like, my dad used to say batting 300 gets you into the hall of fame. <laughs> right. You know, like that's if, really, yeah. if you hit 300, your whole career in baseball, you're going to be in the hall of fame and that's failing seven times out yep. of every 10 and you think of any sport it's like that too like think yeah. of steph is steph is the best shooter in the history of of the universe probably like including all the other planets and galaxies and <laughs> he's shooting what like 40 probably 43 percent from three something like that like for his career 40 something like low mid 40s like that's that's an f on a test you know yeah like in perspective like he's missing he's missing significantly more shots than he's making and everybody else just missing a shitload more, but that's like that's the perspective, right? Like you're you're not you're not gonna hit on everything. You're not even gonna hit on most of the things, but that doesn't mean that you're not gonna hit, and that doesn't mean that that's an indicator of like how successful you are. Like it's just that's just part of it. Yeah, he's willing to try and fail no matter what. Mm -hmm. Did you ever try that pork? That pork that was on your cover. Man, I did. I, um, so, I, so did you like that transition right there? Yeah. <laughs> I had no the, prepared questions other than that. <laughs> bro, that that pork that pork was it. I did like the transition too because I like I got like I randomly got hungry like five minutes ago. No, I my stomach so, is literally growling. I'm like, damn, is the mic gonna pick it up? <laughs> I um I have a homie in in West Palm. His name is Eric. He runs storefront called palm beach meats 
and I linked with him for the first time a few months ago on the trip home. Like my, I saw a newspaper clip, my dad be reading the newspaper and I was like, oh, I should go pop in, like see what this dude is about. Really cool dude, family owned restaurant, restaurant storefront type place. And they just, they sell exotic meats. Like they sell Wagyu from all types of different Japanese prefectures in Australia too. And they sell Mangalitsa is one of the things that they sell. They don't have like the big cuts, but they have pork belly. And I think they might have chops too. And I picked up some of the pork belly maybe a couple months ago when I was home. And I made some of that. And it was, yeah. There's, you trusted yourself with a piece of meat like that? You have good confidence in <laughs> <to> cooking. <laughs> it's gotten like, it's definitely gotten there. Like I've, I've learned to become more cautious since meeting him and like going to his spot and buying stuff. Because if I'm going to buy like, a hundred dollar steak like i need to make the steak right you yeah. can't i can't yeah, waste can't it like it's no. i don't want to waste a 30 dollar steak i don't want to waste a 20 dollar steak i sure as hell don't want to waste a hundred dollar steak so i get mad when my pasta's overcooked you know? yeah like i'm not i don't i don't i especially don't like making food the wrong way if i'm gonna eat it because i'm gonna still eat it but i'm just not gonna enjoy it both because of how it tastes and because how i know i fucked it up that's so like, it's just doubly that's unenjoyable. That's how I feel about rolling a shitty joint. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not even, I don't, I don't even want to get high off this anymore. <laughs> I saw a video of like, bro, I'm not even trying to eat. Like, I'm going to do it, but I'm not even trying to eat. But yeah, I, I tried the pork belly, which is a lot easier to cook than, than a steak because it's just like, you know, cooking bacon in a pan. And yeah, just, just different. Like, Was it uh, amazing? Was it worth it? Like, definitely worth it. Yeah. Definitely, most definitely worth it. I think it was like, it might have been like fourteen dollars a pound or something. I can't remember. So it wasn't like crazy, like the steak, but yeah, just the the flavor is is. I think like bacon is great. Regular bacon, like store bought bacon, is great. That's never going to change for me. But that was like the next level of of bacon, and yeah. I didn't know how much better bacon could be because bacon is already amazing, but it turns out it can be a lot better than it. I'm have to try that now. Yeah, bro. What's yeah, the, do you have? A, do you have your favorite meal of all time? At like this point, experience you've had eating, not like dish. My favorite experience. Um, I think. So I went to um I went to this place called Momotaro. I've been there a couple times, a few times now, but most recently I went with my homie Terrell. And it's a it's a Japanese place in the West Loop of Chicago. And it has like really fancy sushi. I had never had fancy sushi before. The first time I went to Momotaro, I didn't get the sushi. So we go to this place and order a bunch of stuff up until that point the only experience i had really had with sushi is an all-you-can-eat place right because there's one real close to me where i live like especially when i didn't have money like that 15 20 dollars fills you up for the oh whole yeah day in like yeah. kind of a sick way but like in a good way because that's 15 dollars and you're good it's like an enjoying a fucking quarter pounder yeah <laughs> right exactly and sushi like that sushi was sushi has always for me been more of like a phalanx for spicy mayo and soy sauce and wasabi. Like it's never been about the sushi itself. 
And I got the sushi from Momotaro. And it was like I wasn't even eating the same food. And then I got more sushi, and we got more sushi. And I spent a lot more money than I was planning on spending. Yeah, it's probably like but, 12 grand by the end of it. <laughs> bro, it was bad. I was like, it was, it was prop like the most I've ever spent at a restaurant before, for sure. But it was, it was worth two it. of you. What was the bill? Yeah. Man, it was like, it must have been like 350 or something like that. Yeah. And then that was actually when I started. Um, that was when I came up with the idea for the, the album title, 50% Gratuity. Because the dude is real cool. He kept bringing it back. And I was like, fuck it, bro. Like, I'm already spending a hell of money. Like, let me just hey, that's, put this on top. That is dope as fuck. But, and I, like, waited to, like, see his, like, he went to the little the little area to put the, the check in. And, like, I waited to, like, see his face when he, like, looked at it. And he, the way he looked at me was just so fucking funny because he was like, is this dude serious? But like in a like a really cool way. It was it was fun. It was fun. the worst is but, when um, you give a really good tip and they don't see it. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's I usually had like it's such an ego feeding thing. <laughs> I can't like to be real. Like I I don't think I've ever really waited to see before. Like I knew that time because that's like that was the biggest the big that's the most I've ever spent. Like even without the tip, right? Like yeah. during this. That's stupid to spend that much on a restaurant. Like I, I'm not breaded like that. At that time, like I kind of was, but still dumb. But I was like, we, we were just like in the perfect line of vision with each other. <laughs> and like the way he looked over was just like so bewildered. And I was like, a couple weeks later, I was like, oh shit, that would be like a crazy concept. But anyways, the sushi was like from a different planet, and. It's changed the way that I view other sushi, but not so much that I can't eat it. I just think of them as two completely different foods. Like oh, yeah. easily the best yeah. sushi I've ever like had. Like a and... a ch shitty cheeseburger, you know? Yeah, like a McDonald's cheeseburger versus like a cut of like Takamori Wagyu or something like that. I'm you... still going to enjoy the cheeseburger. Like I'm not a food snob. Like I'm, I'm trying not to eat fast food, but not because I'm like turning my nose up at it because like I know it's... Not me that too. good for I'm me. On a kick from no fast food. Though. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I still like. I was still fucking the cheeseburger. You, know? you, you said you went to Chick Fil A. I went to Chick Fil A the other day. I broke. <laughs> <laughs> like I will still fuck up a cheeseburger with mac sauce. Like no doubt. I'm just trying not to, but yeah. not like in an elitist way. I just don't want to feel like that after I eat. What's the best um, dish you can make? Like, what's your go-to dish? If I had to like combine it from all the like make a composite, I would I would say like a wagyu with truffle salt, like just pan seared, and because those are really simple, you don't have to do too much. You don't have to marinate it. It's already so flavorful. And then um, truffle mashed potatoes, and then like I take the garlic that I use, like the cloves of garlic that I use in the pan fry, and I put them in. The mashed potatoes after it's so like black truffle carpaccio and the mashed potatoes buttered garlic and scallions too probably because i use those in the pan also and the steak yeah steaks by itself and like an arugula salad or something like that with some nice vinaigrette i don't make the vinaigrette though i always just get it because that's like there's <laughs> a lot of it's a lot of extra work but yeah you're passionate steak, about uh, cooking like you're it's gotten that way for sure and I didn't really 
there too much before. Like I would make food, but I didn't I didn't really think of it as art until more recently. And until I started eating at eating at and from places that have like I guess upper scale foods and experiencing foods like that and going to Palm Beach meets and having Wagyu for the first time and just knowing that there's there's a lot more out there than what I've been eating. And I'm not going to just like only like only eat Wagyu for the rest of my life, you know, but I think it's cool to kind of, for myself, at least mix in some of like the more up, upper scale, fancier stuff, just time and time here and time there. Cause it's just, it's nice to experience. Yeah. And it's but cool yeah. that you rap about too. Cause like my parents, like we wouldn't go on vacations. We'd like save up to go to a nice restaurant. Like that, like, that, so like yeah. that's what we did growing up. Like, all yeah. right, it's our, we'll save up for a month and go to this nice restaurant. Like, so I, I appreciate it. Like, and I appreciate listening to stuff like that. Yeah. Too. I just feel like there, I think that's one of the things that people aren't really rapping about, to be honest, like the, and I don't, I haven't listened to like every rapper and every rap song ever, of course. But when I think about rappers rapping about being in restaurants and what the food is like, I think of Bronson, but that's yeah. kind of it. Shout out Bronson. Shout out Action Bronson. He's one that of show was crazy. Rappers. Last two nights ago, it was Rock, uh -huh. Marcy, Conway, Action Bronson. Damn. And to Wait, be honest, was... in New York, at okay. elsewhere, and it was cool. I got to do a podcast uh, in the green room at Elsewhere mm -hmm. and then like, be on stage for them, and it was a crazy experience. That's dope, bro. That sounds cool as hell. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to nah. cut you off, but I, no, I, no, that's, that's I got dope, like a bro. flashback to like, wait, that was a real, that was a real moment. Bronson has been in my top five for a minute. Um, and it wasn't until I really started getting into his music that I was thinking like, you know, I really love food too. Maybe I should rap more about food. Like I want to rap about stuff that I, that I know. I want to rap about stuff that I experience. And food is increasingly become one of those things that I've experienced in, in a way that needs vivid description. And I think it's just one of those things that, I mean, it's something that I do. Like I, I really love to eat and I like going to different places to eat. And I like eating all different kinds of stuff. And I think it's cool to fit that into songs when I can and just be as descriptive as possible because I don't think most other rappers are really doing that. Yeah. But also, even if they were like, I'm doing it too, so I'll, I'll rap about it. And know? also, why? Yeah, you know, you do it in such a unique way that I don't think the comparison. I don't know anyone else that does that. Yeah. Um. What's the last question? What's the coolest thing that you've been able to experience with music? Coolest thing I've been able to experience. Um. I think it's like having all of my bills paid from like streams. Like I, I can't, I don't think I can point to a specific event yet. I've experienced a lot of cool events and stuff, but just being able to live this life and my rent's paid. I guess I don't have too many other bills, but like, all the stuff that I need taken care of is taken care of because three years ago I decided that I wanted to like get serious about music and drop it. And like now I'm here and I think that's pretty cool.
That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you very much for doing this. This was an awesome conversation. No, thank you for having me, bro. This is fun. Uh, where can people find your stuff? Um, all the DSP, Spotify, Apple Music, um, SoundCloud, if it's on SoundCloud, title. Yeah, Black Sam with, with V's instead of A's. Because I think I, at a certain point, I wanted to be like the only one, you know, like to yeah. populate the search results. So, yeah, Black Sam with V's instead Are of A's. Are you with Samuel? Oh, no, I'm a Ben. My name is, is Ben for real. Oh, wait, really? But, I yeah, so. My name's Sam. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> so Sam, the Sam and, and uh, Black Sam is short for Samurai because the first... I, I, I learned of, of the um, of the, the Black Samurai Yasuke like a while ago, a few years ago. And I just thought it was a dope story. Like this Black dude who just Eurostep slavery completely found his way to Japan and then became a samurai. I was just like, that's, that's fucking wild. Yeah. So initially my name was Black Sam with A's. And then there were like eight other Black Sams and like 35,000 other Black Sams on SoundCloud. So I was like, I got to do something. But I want to keep the same name. So so Sam was really short for, for Samurai. I'm so glad yeah. I asked that this whole time. So your name's Ben. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny as fuck, man. Thank you. That's a dope-ass name, though. Thank you for telling me that story. Yes, so, so. That whole time, though, I was thinking, oh, I was like, damn. Like, we're both Sams, and we have a similar way of thinking about shit. <laughs> but we are. Most most people just call me Sam anyways, and I don't even yeah. correct them because, like, I don't know if they're calling me by my rap name or if they think that's my real name, but it's just like, yeah, I just I answer to it. So, yeah. But, but anyway, I really appreciate your time. Um, Hopefully link up in person sometime, and I can't wait to hear yeah. what else you got coming out. Appreciate that, man. I appreciate your time, too. All right. Peace, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah